Hi, Nick. Uh, thank you so much for taking your time for this. I, I really appreciate it. As we start, can you maybe talk a little bit about your role and your company? Sure. Yeah, good to be here. Um, so I am the head of security for Baker Tilly, and uh, we are the ninth largest accounting firm in the world. We have about 7,000 professionals and uh, 200 offices, so pretty good operation there. Awesome. And uh, what, what's, uh, what is within your purview? Yeah, so I'm responsible for all of internal security and risk. Um, so I am responsible for security from the top to bottom. So workstations to servers to policies, procedures, uh, the GRC side of the house with the governance, risk and compliance. Um, all compliance efforts are driven through my team. So SOC 2, mm -hmm. ISO, and uh, CMMC, that's all done through my team. I understand. I understand. And kind of looking at your career, how did you get into this space? Yeah, so I've always been interested in security. I started out more on the um, IT leadership side of the house. So I was the head of IT for a smaller accounting firm, uh, but I was always very interested in security. And um, I took quite a lot of certifications just to try to learn more about you know, what was out there and broaden my skill set and um, always gravitated towards security certification. So I knew I always wanted to do that. And um, my firm uh, in 2020, we actually merged in with Baker Tilly. So uh, they had an open position for their CISO and it was a perfect fit and it really lined up nicely and I was able to jump in and do that. So I got in kind of a backhanded way, um, but uh, nonetheless, very excited to, to be where I'm at. Certainly, certainly. Um, well, cybersecurity in general as a field is, it seems like it's exploding in, pop, in um, kind of popularity and the spotlight is on. It's, it seems like every other week there is another company raising million dollars at unicorn valuation. I think there is a lot more understanding of just the concept and the implication kind of throughout the organization, really from employees um, all the way to C-level executives on the board. And I think with everything that's going on with the world, with from work from home to um, nation state actors and, and things like this, it's, it's a very uh, important field that's also growing in importance it seems every day yeah. and naturally a lot of more junior professionals are looking to make a career in the space or even maybe students who are st still in school uh looking in in this in the space um i'm trying to figure out if, if it will be a good fit yeah. from your vantage point what do you would you recommend those maybe more junior professionals focus on to be successful yeah no that's a great question i mean you know i think there is sort of this kind of quote unquote sexy idea of what security is from professionals, junior professionals who might think, you know, more along the lines of red teaming, right? Where you're doing penetration testing and, you know, all those types of things. And that's really a, an extremely small percentage of the security jobs in the market, right? I mean, that is a very niche, you know, group of people that are doing red team assessments, penetration testing, things like that. So I really would recommend folks to take a broader look at what all is out there, right? I mean, the company size that has to have a red team is pretty significant. I mean, for our group, you know, we have 7,000 employees. I have, you know, 12, 15 team members um, across my area. And so we don't have anybody dedicated to full-time red teaming, right? So to give you an idea of scale, you've got to be a much larger company to have that type of, or you're in a consultancy type environment that provides those services. So I would say step back and think about other avenues. So one that commonly gets overlooked is the GRC. So the governance risk and compliance side. I mean, 
that's where if you're an auditor and you've always had an interest in security, or if you're somebody who, you know, is in IT and you, you, you know, understand policies and procedures, there's a huge field to go into that route. Um, the other thing I would say too is, you know, if you're currently in an environment or you're in a company, uh, but not necessarily in security, or you're in a more junior role, I would offer up to the security security leaders where you are, hey, is there anything I can help out with? I'm super interested in security. Where can I get in? And really starting at, you know, the project level. Um, I know here I've hired three people from our support team and infrastructure group who expressed interest um, in security. And we brought them in on small projects, not the, you know, the most fun projects in the world, but things that they could, you know, get their feet wet and say, yeah, you know what, this is not my favorite, but I still got it done. And we could see their aptitude um, to want to bring them in more full time. So I'd say offer up your skill sets. Um, you know, start whatever they might need, whether it's one project, a handful, but just getting your exposure to security. Um, that's what I would offer for junior professionals. That's a great idea. So essentially offering your time in exchange for experience. And I think it's, it's kind of a low risk experiment on both parts. Uh, yeah. This kind of junior professional will get a, um, an opportunity to explore what the field is like without committing and without making the jump. And, yeah. and the team gets gets a resource and potentially a, a future talent. Uh, right. I mean, and, and everybody knows with hiring, it is so hard to hire high level talent right now. It's more attractive to build up, you know, junior level talent into where you need them to be. Right. Like I'm making a lot of investments right now internally on more junior and mid-level folks to get them up to that, you know, expert level, subject matter expert place that I need them to be in versus going out and trying to overpay for somebody um, or put way too much money into somebody. So yeah, I'd say, you know, get in, you know, and as a hiring manager, it's a dream to have somebody that says, hey, you know what, I'm interested, you know, internally, might not have every box checked, but it's something you can work with. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think it's also shows um, internally a career path. I mean, it's which uh, if I were in a position, I would, I think it would be awesome if I can see not just where I am at right yeah. now, but a kind of a progression that, that I can, I can grow and get to the next, um, next position. I mean, two, three, five years. So there is, I think it would be awesome just from the organizational perspective for, for more junior people to see this progression and see the potential. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Um, switching gears a little bit. I know there's so many issues that our cybersecurity teams have to deal with right now. I know ransomware comes to mind, cloud security, identity access. Uh, those are kind of some of the topics that, that that seems more top of mind right now. Let's say you, you had this crystal ball and you can see in, into the future, uh, six months from now, 12 months from now, what do you think top three challenges facing CISOs um, would be? Yeah, that's a great question. I spent a lot of time thinking about it. I mean, I think Number one, and it's it's certainly most relevant right now, but I think all CISOs are getting to a place where your company is having to reckon with the global market. And, you know, I'm speaking, of course, to the Russia-Ukraine scenario. You're, as a CISO, having to understand geopolitically how that could or might impact not only your company, but your client base. Um, and what does that mean for securing you know, either work that's being done for clients in that part of the world, or if you have employees that are traveling to that part of the world, whatever, you know, it might be, um, that's making us really think about, okay, how do we think outside the box to get work done 
um, or, you know, make policy recommendations, you know, against certain types of, uh, you know, work from countries or what it, whatever it might be. So I think really that's a challenge trying to see where does security fit in a company's mindset when it comes to dealing with these geopolitical matters. So that's one. Um, two, for me, I would have to say um, privacy standards are going to be continuing to blow up. I mean, obviously, starting in 2023, um, next year, California moves from the CCPA to the CCRA. So there's a lot more, you know, privacy regulations that, you know, are going to be coming up with different states. And I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, in a year, maybe two years, we see more of a federally mandated um, privacy regulation. So I think that's going to be a huge um, challenge coming up. And then lastly, you know, I really see um, software as a service to SaaS tools, cloud tools, managing just the sprawl, right? So we all have different tools that we're using in the cloud, but how are we managing SaaS tools from a security perspective? Because most of us are relying on the you know, security practices of the, you know, Dropbox.com and, you know, Adobe.com, whatever the, the tool might be, you're kind of relying on the SaaS tools for the security, but there becomes a management problem and, you know, with all these different tools in your environment. Um, so I think that's going to be something that's going to crop up more and more. How do we solve that problem of securing things that we don't necessarily own um, is going to be one that comes to mind. So. I understand. And do you think it's more of a, on the last point, do you think it's more of an identity and access issue or more, as you said, managing the sprawl and just managing uh, the entirety of, uh, of all the tools, uh, cloud tools that, that, yeah. that you have? Yeah, it's good. I mean, I, I do think it is more the sprawl, but I think I'm, what I'm thinking about more is the data. So if we had the data going in one place, but it's being propagated to three other SaaS tools, you know, for example, Salesforce. Salesforce ties into so many different, you know, SaaS offerings. So I've had to literally sit back and start to map out, okay, we have, well, I know we have an API here, we have an API there. And you start seeing, oh boy, now they're taking entitlements from Salesforce and hopefully bringing them across to all the other, you know, platforms that are connecting in. Um, it just becomes a challenge because a lot of, you know, the folks that are going out and buying those applications aren't necessarily thinking of the ramifications of, you know, data privacy and, you know, retention and, you know, some of those types of things. But to your point, I mean, identity, you know, access management is very critical in that too, right? I mean, if somebody leaves your company, are you sure that you've secured all the access from the cloud tools? I mean, that's, that's a question that not a lot of us can answer with a, you know, um, an honest answer, wow. just because we don't necessarily set up all of those accounts. It makes sense. So in other words, someone leaves, they may still have access to some of the cloud tools and Absolutely. as a result to the data that they really shouldn't. Yeah. It makes, it makes a lot of sense. Um, kind of next, uh, next topic I want to touch on is, um, so Athenia, it's, it's kind of meant to be as a community of cybersecurity executives for uh, net career, uh, professional networking for kind of learning, succeeding together, and, and um, provide curated content and those other things. So, and sometimes we succeed in, in providing value um, and with our new initiatives, and sometimes we, I feel we, we fall short, and, and we are always interested in kind of understanding what is that that we do that kind of hits the spot and resonates and what are the things that do not. So from that perspective, what, where do you think, where do you find most value out of what we provide? And what do you think, uh, where do you think we can do better or differently? Yeah. yeah, no, it's a great, um, it's a great platform. Honestly, I'm, I'm very glad to be a part of it. I think 
the most value that I have, you know, the, the weekly emails are great one to kind of see what's going on out there in the space, whether it's, you know, new potential career opportunities, not only for, you know, myself, but obviously other CISOs that I know, um, security executives, but also to see, you know, um, who's going where, right? You, you might know a notable CISO just moved to a new company. That's very beneficial to know. Um, and also the LinkedIn, I love the, these interviews. I've actually seen a couple myself, so I, I really appreciate that content um, when it's posted on LinkedIn. You know, I do think it would be nice to see as far as what I think, you know, uh, you could do better. I would like to see some roundtables or maybe some more, you know, um, interactions with the other group members, not necessarily just on LinkedIn, but maybe some sort of virtual experience that would be that would be very unique and maybe at some point depending on you know the size and, and what makes sense something in person um would be would be kind of cool just to you know get around other security leaders because truthfully there's not a whole lot of uh you know opportunities to have round tables where you're not constantly being sold something else right um but to be there where it's just that group and we're talking about things that matter to us um so that that's just a couple of ideas certainly and the round table um, are you thinking more a roundtable around a certain topic? Um, let's say uh, managing uh, clouds, cloud sprawl uh, or I know identity and access and just kind of sharing insights about a certain topic or is it more kind of meet and greet uh, uh, my str strong suit, my superpower is this, I have a challenge in that and see if there is a match of kind of your someone's yeah superpower matching would match someone's problem and kind of uh, asking and providing feedback in real time, but yeah. more, more free form, which, which one do you think would make sure. more sense? Yeah, you know, I, I kind of like the first idea, but a little bit of a twist. I'm thinking more about if you crowdsource from the CISOs, hey, what are some questions that you would other CISOs mm -hmm. and everybody in the network can say, hey, you know what, I really want to know about X, Y, Z, what are other CISOs doing or what's your stance on this? Um, and then, you know, being able to pull one or two or three of those topics, depending, you know, um, how in depth people would get on them and then having an, a roundtable where, hey, you know what, these are the questions. Do we have anybody who is, you know, has a great answer for this and what are you doing? Um, so I think something like that. But, you know, what, honestly, your, your second idea there, I think is, is great as well. Right. The meet and greet and solving real time problems, because sometimes there are, you know, pressing issues that we really don't have anywhere else to turn because you can't necessarily talk to your CEO or your board about it because it might be too technical um, and you're trying to find a way to, to balance that or you know maybe it is a problem with your board and you're trying to figure out how to approach that and there's other people on the network that have you know boards and, and done that sort of report or you know solve that problem I think that would be beneficial too so I think both would be would be great mm -hmm. I, I understand and then do you think it would make sense to do this by industry? Um, in, in other words, would you see the most valuable feedback coming from CISOs in the same you know, professional services, uh, for example, space, or do you think it matters less um, and kind of experience in general would be just as relevant? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I could see both sides of the coin, right? Because I've certainly been on conversations where you have, you know, CISOs that are in, for example, manufacturing, that I don't quite resonate how their security program is run, because again, I'm securing something different with professional services. But at the same time, there are sometimes, you know, creative ways to solve problems that um, people might do in another industry that 
traditionally hasn't been thought of to be done in your industry. Um, but yeah, I mean, I do think, you know, it would make sense so to have breakouts to where you could have, you know, financial services, you know, companies talking to each other, um, manufacturing or so on and so forth. You know, that way there are more of a targeted, you know, um, we know similar softwares, we know similar challenges. Um, so I, I think I like initially, I think I like the more um, segregated and more, you know, industry focused approach. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned both kind of virtual and and live and it's something that we're definitely planning on doing going forward as we're coming out of those COVID restrictions. Um, and it's, it's kind of a little bit of on the fence because um, people have different sensitivity, sensitivity about uh, gathering in any sort of numbers. Yeah. Um, on the one hand and the others, on the other hand, they're saying, Oh, there's this zoom fatigue is real. We can't yeah. wait uh, to, to get, to kind of meet uh me and greed face to, in face-to-face -face kind of format. So yeah. from your perspective, are you open to both? Which, which one do you think would be more relevant? Yeah, no, I mean, it's a great, great point. I mean, we're seeing that, you know, of course, um, you know, there's some people who just don't want to get on an airplane, you know, ever again, or if they can avoid it. Um, so I get that travel. I mean, to me, you know, I think you'll get the most engagement doing virtual because you're going to have, you know, the convenience factor of just being able to hop on at home um, obviously, you know, you'd be able to cover more ground too, right? Because then it wouldn't be tied to a time zone. You could say, hey, we're doing it at noon Eastern, right? Um, which is still 10 a.m. You know, or 9 a.m. Uh, Pacific time. Um, but honestly, maybe it's once a year. Maybe it's once a year for the in-person, like a summit, you know, we all converge in one. You know, let's go to Denver, right? Halfway for everybody type of a thing um, might make sense. Because there is something about shaking people's hands, talking to them face-to-face, -face, being able to kind of let your guard down a little bit and talk about the things that are going on. Um, I think there's value in that because, you know, I mean, I'm sure you'd resonate with this, but for me, you know, the older I get, the more I know that the saying of it's not what you know, it's who you know, right? And being able to have that network, that resource, be able to call them, hey, you know what? Uh, we were talking about this, uh, you know, at the, the event, this came up. What do you think? You know, being able to yeah. expand the, you know, uh, network. Well, it's a... I, I like how I like the definite. How would you how would you define term friend? And for me, it's how fast they return my calls. So, yeah, so, <laughs> yeah exactly. Yeah. So um, I was actually well on that point. I mean, we're certainly thinking about different different formats, but but where we would like to start is actually yeah. uh, not attempt like a large scale all hands on deck event, but more local i know a dinner for a dozen of people or something like this so there's no travel involved and it's not a kind of a large-scale production and it's not a large group uh event but more uh of a kind of a local local dinner and, and i think it would be a great way to kind of bridge some of those some of those issues and and um provide a venue for people to to connect and maybe yeah. there'll be some overlap someone you already know but um probably there'll be some some new faces as well um yeah. is it something that would kind of make sense you think yeah yeah absolutely yeah I've, uh, i know they're you know um gardner does something similar or avanta they do something similar um so i know that that works for sure there's definitely groups that do that um so i like that approach i think part of the problem you know becomes you know obviously finding that many cso's in that area right um so i mean i'm in san diego i'm sure there's a number um, you know, in the network that are here, but uh, there might be some challenges if you're in Phoenix, for example, or, you know what I mean? So 
That might be, but I, I like that approach too, right? It's personal because the less number you have in one spot, the more people can actually interact and talk. And it's not, you know, yeah, 30 of us are sitting in the back and there's five people having a conversation. You're, you're only talking to the people on your left and right, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. And then, I mean, we'll experience the RSA and Black Hat and some of those Gartner events that are just, it's, it's hard to manage. I mean, uh, a lot of time yeah. I was on the RSA was, um, 45,000 people in, in 2020. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Way so, too many. Yeah. Certainly. Well, and you mentioned, it's interesting that you, you mentioned that uh, it like uh, it would be awesome to be part of a round table and not being sold to. So um, yeah. kind of on this topic, kind of dealing with vendors, um, you know, in one of our mastermind calls, uh, we talked to member, Athenian members who are CISOs and they have very emotional and almost visceral reaction when, when this topic was breached and someone said, my phone is on, on do not disturb from Monday morning until Friday. Another person said, I only respond to Slack, internal Slack messages. I, I just, email doesn't exist for me anymore. So yeah. obviously it's, um, there's kind of a lot of pressure from the kind of the vendor community so from your experience, um, if you think back, I you know six months, maybe a year, um, and you think of a vendor that kind of, it was an amazing experience from yeah. uh, kind of start to finish, uh, what, without, without naming names, what is it that they did that you thought was interesting? And on the flip side, what are the uh, couple things that you would, uh, that you hate the most that, that, yeah, uh, that sells people's uh, sometimes do yeah um well so one I'll, I'll just start with the things i hate because it happens all the time um but you know adding adding me on linkedin and then just sending me your pitch in the message is terrible like and it's even worse when you try to add me and you say oh or, you know looks like we're in the same industry i'd love to connect and learn from you blah 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 and then the very next message a day or two later is here's what we do book a time on my calendar 15 minutes of your time you know and uh, so anyway, that, you know, the fire hose of, I don't know why they still do that. Cause I, they must have some success, but not anybody I know. Um, so for sure, I would tell them, cut that out. Um, I think what works, I've actually had a couple um, that, you know, it's about, it's about building a relationship, right? So um, for example, I have a, a vendor who we purchased a competitor product and they knew this. And I told them, look, I'm locked in for three years. I just signed this, you know, a couple months ago. And uh, they said, sure, no problem. I'd just love to, you know, be able to connect and see how it's going and, you know, maintain a relationship. So I meet with this guy quarterly, you know, and we just talk, it's 30 minutes and, you know, it could be about, you know, personal life. It could be about how the project's going, but it's just that building that relationship because he knows that in two and a half years, when that contract gets up, I'll be able to say, you know what, well, let's have a real conversation because we've been talking this whole time and gosh, you know, the rep that I bought this product from, I haven't talked to since the minute I signed on the dotted line, right? So they have an advantage of this relationship building. And then I think an easy one is interact with the, the CISOs, interact with us on LinkedIn. If we're posting stuff, you know, comment on it, ask questions. You know, most of us are, are more than open and happy to respond to questions. Just, you know, you got to say there's a fine line there, right? You don't want to go in there and say, oh, well, my company could solve your problem, you know, that you're posting about, right? Um, yeah. But I'm, just I'm, having that, yeah, just taking the sales hat off for a second and going connecting with the person. I think that's the best way to do it. Because yeah. again, when we when we actually have a need, we will damn sure pick up the phone and call the person that we know to help us solve that problem, you know? For sure, for sure. And it's, 
it's interesting that you say this. It's a, it seems like people are so short, so transactional. And so oh, yeah. they're, they don't have the patience to play the long game, which is where it's all at. It, it seems yep. like, I mean, we're not machines. We're humans. We want, we're looking for a connection and, and, yeah. and something that's genuine rather than absolutely transactional. Um, that's, that's very, very interesting. And, and thank you for sharing this. I, where do you usually go, for example, if, if there is a new emerging problem, new threat vector or something, something kind of new um, that is just a new problem, where do you usually go for, for information? Is it your peer network? Is it LinkedIn? Is it media uh, publications? Is it analysts like, you know, uh, Gardner and um, maybe I know Forrester, how, how strong they are, but what's, yeah. what's your kind of go-to source to, to learn about a new kind of cybersecurity theme. Yeah. Yeah. Honestly, LinkedIn um, is a great place. There's a lot of great content there. Um, another one that's kind of surprised me more, and this really took off more so during COVID was webinars. Um, I love attending webinars because one, I could do it, you know, during a lunch hour, or I could do it, you know, uh, while I'm doing something else, but able to, to listen in, I don't have to actively participate, um, but still, you know, understand what's going on. Um, so yeah, I think, the webinars is great because again, that's more of a, it gives us the opportunity as CISOs to say, yes, I will attend that um, versus, you know, somebody jamming my inbox saying, hey, you know what, I could fix that problem for you. Let me tell you more about it. Um, and then, yeah, I think the, um, yeah, so I, LinkedIn is great. People post stuff. So expanding the network and that's what's great about having this network, right, is we can see if somebody's posting something it does, you know, hashtag Affinia and we know, oh, okay, great. That's somebody that's also a CISO. Here's what they're talking about. That's relevant. Um, that's that's meaningful for sure. So I do think that there's a lot of potential there for the network to be kind of that source of you know what we're seeing, what we're talking about. Certainly interesting. Last question. Um, for some reason, this year RSA and Gartner are happening or scheduled at the same time, early June. Is it for you? I may have asked the question already, but for you, is it is it RSA? Is it Gartner? Is it neither? Yeah, you know what's funny? I, I'm almost going to say neither right now. I mean, um, you know, my firm typically in years past was an RSA, you know, would go to RSA. Um, but now it's just, uh, yeah, that's tough. I'm not, I'm not a huge Gardner fan. I mean, you know, Gardner and Forrester have some, some quality information, but, you know, the price point of what you're paying to get that information is usually very, very steep. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm not a huge, huge fan. But, you know, as far as conferences go, uh, I'm actually more of a fan of the um, ISACA conferences. Um, but, uh, but if I had to pick between the two, I would take RSA. So, yeah, well, it's, well it's, it's not that far from uh, San Diego. It's closer. Yeah, exactly. Right from San Diego than uh, yep. Maryland for, for Gartner. Awesome. Yeah. Nick, thank you so much for your time. This was lots of fun and I, I really yeah. appreciate it. Yeah, of course. Same here. I had a ton of fun. Appreciate it. Thanks, Misha.